Hello and welcome back to another session recap. So this one was a... Well, there's a lot of details to go over. Not necessarily a lot happened, but a lot was learned, I guess. So the players are traveling with 25 pilgrims. They've only had one of them named, which is the leader hero. Now, this time, they got to meet every single one of them and learn some details about each because the session started out with a murder attempt on Hero. The players were awoken and brought to Hero's room by Kess Moin. She's one of the three prison guards, or ex-prison guards, who's leading the group, Hero being the other one. And later, they learned a half-elf named Akeem is the third. So, the three ex-prison guards and kind of leaders of the group are Hero, Kess, and Akeem. Kess brought them to Hero's room and Hero explained that, well he didn't really explain, he wasn't really talking much, but Kess explained that he'd been poisoned. So the paladin Bob stepped in and cured him of his poison and then the investigation began and already they threw me off because I'd forgotten about Zone of Truth which is what they began casting, and they wouldn't let anybody leave the mansion until they'd questioned every single one. Because, since he was poisoned in the mansion, they assumed it had to be somebody from inside. So that's where most of the session went, was questioning these 25 NPCs. I'm trying to decide if I should go over each and every one. Um... I think I, I think I probably should, because that's really what the players experienced. So it's going to be a lot of detail. It's going to be a lot to keep track of. So my players, or at least some of them, were keeping notes. And even then, it was hard to keep everything straight. It was probably maybe too many NPCs to make suspects. But I don't know. They're at a higher level. They need a challenge. So, And they did pretty good. They They got... They'd uncover. <clears throat> Excuse me. <coughs> Just ate some chips. Um, they uncovered some important information. Well, not necessarily. I don't want to say what was important and what wasn't important. I don't want to give any hints away as to like how, how far they got, um, and like what clues are leading them to the culprit, and which ones are just false clues or things to throw them off. But they did learn a lot of things. I'll say that. Anyway, so they didn't question Hero, obviously, in the Zone of Truth, but the information about Hero is important to review. He's a former prison guard, current leader of the Pilgrims of Captus. He's oriental, clean-cut, human, spiritual, things like that. Then there is Kes Moen, who is also human. Former prison guard, uh, worshiper of Captus, she was converted by Hero. They questioned her, and they questioned everybody. The, they asked everybody the same questions: Did you poison him? Do you know who did? And everybody had a chance to do a save. It was a very difficult save, but a surprising number of people uh, managed to save. So, which I'm already giving stuff away should have been a a hint to the players, but they didn't question it, and maybe they just guessed I was fudging rolls because um, I, I had I did confess that I was 
thrown off by the zone of truth, but not not, not necessarily. Not necessarily fudging any roles. I'm not saying I didn't fudge any roles. Maybe, maybe, but I I, I didn't fudge fudge all of them. Just saying. Anyway, trying to encourage them to listen to my recordings. <laughs> so, it. Some people say, and some people didn't, it's hard to keep track of who did and who didn't. I think Kess saved on her role. And I had to do some world building here to try and tell them, or explain to my players that for some people, they're just, they'll just have a gift against this. Because Zone of Truth is a very powerful spell for being only second level. And they did also have to learn that enchantment spells are actually illegal in my world. Um, because a lot of people feel that they violate privacy and just kind of those other sort of inalienable rights. You know, enchantments mess with people's minds, and a lot of, you know, a lot of people don't like that. They kind of consider that unethical. So Hero went along with it, but he was pretty uncomfortable with them casting Zone of Truth. So I try to add these things to kind of balance it a little bit, you know. And so also some people just kind of have an innate ability to resist these things, um, not necessarily, well, they made their save, but kind of an explanation as to why they weren't choosing, um, to save, in fact, I don't even, I'm looking at the spell right now to see if they even have a choice to save, it's, um, yeah, on a, on a failed save, you know whether they sail, they fail. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It doesn't say that they have a choice whether or not they fail, and so in my mind that means that some people are going to make the save and they can't choose to fail or not. They, they just going to have an innate ability to resist these kinds of things. Uh, it's sort of more instinctive rather than a choice to save. Now I guess the generic rules do let you choose to fail a save, so I guess that is an option. But for this particular spell, uh, I I planned it in my mind that some people just didn't know how to do that they're just kind of resistant um their mind had a magical instinct to to resist these types of penetrating spells and they didn't necessarily know how to turn on and off maybe some of them do people who have a little bit more control over their mind but for some people like Kess who isn't a spellcaster or somebody who's experienced with spells at all she just you know got lucky i guess uh but also she she wouldn't know how to voluntarily fail a save anyway which i think makes sense you know there's there's lots of really powerful spells and lots of surprisingly common ways to counter them if you look close enough there's a lot of well, I wouldn't say there's a lot, but there are uh, magical items, for example, that repel these things that are not very difficult to find. So, it it threw me for a loop at first when they said, okay, zone of truth, everybody. But then as I started thinking about it and going through, like, there's there's ways to get around this. And since we're doing an you know, attempted murder mystery, it would make sense that whoever did would be somewhat savvy I mean, Zone of Truth is only second level. Like, he, he'd have to be familiar with it and know ways of avoiding it. He or she, I should say. So, let's see here.
So yeah, so we talked to talked to Kess, and then we talked to Akeem. Akeem is a half-elf with dark complexion. He was also a prison guard. He wears glasses, and he's kind of scrawny. But he's very friendly uh, and likable, if he is even a little bit, even though he is a little bit nervous, just kind of his mannerisms in general. Akeem failed his uh, save against the Zone of Truth, but he also, like Kess said, he didn't poison Hero, and he didn't know who did. So then they went on to talking to the families. So there's the Adams family. <laughs> uh, the Their human family, the father's name is Gilbert. He was a prison cook uh, for the prison. He's slightly overweight and he has scars on his wrists. He said he didn't, um, he didn't know. He managed to save against the zone of truth. But he's just, uh, he said he didn't poison them. He didn't know who did. Sarah Adams, um, I think, no, actually, Gilbert, Gilbert didn't save, but his wife, Sarah, she did. She was an alchemist, she has kind of like really white hair, uh, was a really sweet lady, so she said she didn't do it, and she didn't know who did. They didn't question any of the children. The Adams have three children, June, Seth, and Paul, but they didn't question any of the kids. Uh, then they went to the Sithrels, they're high elves, a lawyer couple with a young son named Aang. They're very straight-laced, um, both of them saved, which makes sense, they're lawyers. Both of them saved Elevan, who's the husband, and then Brielle, who's the wife. They're very standoffish, very opposed to using the Zone of Truth, quite offended by it, and very distrusting and disliking of the players for their te- uh, for their using the Zone of Truth. And then there's the Periwinkles, who's a gnome family. There's Flynn, who is a shoemaker. Um, he failed his save. Said he didn't know anything about it. Obviously, the everybody said they didn't do it and they didn't know who did it, except for a couple people who had some important clues when they were questioned. I'll get to those. So if I don't say what their answers were, they didn't. They didn't know. They said they didn't do it, and they didn't know who did. So there's Flynn Periwinkle, and then there's Matilda Periwinkle, who's his wife, and then they have a daughter, Sally Periwinkle. Uh, all gnomes, obviously. Then there's the Wagner family, and this is where things really started getting interesting. Versala, she's a human, and her son is a Cambian. Cambians are formed between human and incubus or succubus uh, unions. So her son Ludwig is a Cambian, uh, and Versala is a very easily offended, standoffish, not very polite kind of person. She was horribly offended by being put into a zone of truth and refused to answer any questions. Uh, When pressed and threatened with her life, she finally said she hadn't poisoned him and she didn't know who did. Um, She did fail her save, but she still... Uh, was very evasive and not wanting to answer any questions. Then there was the Velomirs, John and Katarina. They're dwarfs, older couple. Uh, and Katarina had some information as well. She's, so one of the important details that they had uncovered before they started asking people questions was that heroes flask was what had been poisoned his drinking flask 
Now, he had it on his persons at all time, except he did remember the day before that he had gone into the river to bathe. This was while the players were off doing the, uh, oh, what's it called? Sphinx. The Sphinx riddles. Getting magical items from that. He'd gone off to bathe and was, he figured that was like the only time he didn't actually have the flask on his person and somebody could have poisoned it. Katerina confessed that she had seen his flask. She was actually, it had gone through the dishes. They were doing dishes at the same time that Hero had gone off to bathe and she remembers washing it. She doesn't know how she got it, and she confessed to having really bad memory. As they asked her more questions, it became more obvious that to what extent her memory was going, and it was pretty bad. She was having a hard time remembering a lot of things, and there was a lot of holes in her memory and in her story. But she did remember washing his flask that night. And she asked who, you know, they asked Katerina who had been helping, and she said that Brielle... Sithril, the high elf lawyer, and Sarah Adams, the human alchemist, had helped. So they went and questioned Sarah, or no, maybe it wasn't Sarah. Maybe it was Matilda. Oh, I can't remember. No, I think it was Sarah. They went and questioned Sarah, um, and Sarah said that Matilda hadn't been helping with dishes the night before, that uh, last night. It had been the night before that. And so she was very confused, and so they kind of thought maybe that clue was to be thrown out the window. But then they started really getting suspicious of the elves as well as Versala. They weren't really sure what to think of either of them. But the Versala and the elves were the top suspects. But to finish off the other suspects, there was Octavius, who's a human beggar. Um, he, Everybody suspected that he was part of the group simply because he was at, um, because of the free food. <laughs> he joined the pilgrimage simply because they'd feed him. But he was a blatant liar. He failed his save and wasn't able to get more than like two words out because everything he said was a lie. But it was mostly just kind of like lies about where he was from and things like that. Or from what they gathered. I mean, he was just lying through his teeth. Then there was Tassi. She's a human, an extra laundry maid. She didn't have much to say. Escobar, who was a hobbling and a former parole officer. Uh, they were kind of they were kind of running out of time here. They were really thinking it would be Versala or one of the elves. So they just kind of breezed through these. There's Zephyros, who was a half elf, who was really standoffish, got dark complexion. And then there was Hugo, and Hugo was really really kind of interesting. He's a human. Uh, chimney sweep I believe but he said he'd seen Versala step off into the woods by herself at the same time that Hero had been bathing so they then tried to question Versala some more and they didn't get anywhere with that she was just Hero had asked them to stop using zone of truth because they had just gotten too uncomfortable with it at this point and then yeah so, so they didn't really get very much further with the questioning at this point. However, uh, Zixia and Yavelda slipped off during this investigation to do a little bit of poking around. They went into Versala's room and they started going through Ludwig's stuff, uh, the Cambion. 
and they found a, a secret, well, they found two things. They found a metal medallion with a strange symbol on it that they drew a picture of. And then they also found his diary or journal. And the interesting thing is that they learned from that was that he talked about his father a lot, but then also that he had a crush on Sally Periwinkle, which they thought was absolutely adorable, and so they wanted to try and, you know, help these kids get together. Sally and Ludwig are both 15. So then they asked to question Ludwig alone, which really threw Versala into a tantrum. Um, the elves got involved saying that they weren't allowed to question him without Versala being there, blah, blah, blah. It was a big old thing. Um, Zixia ended up slipping Ludwig a note saying, hey, we know about your thing for Sally and we think we can help. And so Ludwig finally agreed to just go and be questioned by himself with these two, which they first uh, just kind of talked to him about Sally. And, you know, he was just like, oh, I don't know. She's she's really way too smart for me. You know, I'm a Cambian, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, no, I think we can help. We'll totally talk her up for you, which was a little weird, but whatever, I guess. (laughs) These two strange women that he doesn't know saying they're going to help him get with his thing. But, you know whatever he he's a teenager and was kind of hopeful so he went with it but then they made a mistake of showing him the holy symbol and asking what it was uh they lied saying that they just kind of come across it but he was able to quickly guess because they learned later this is an incredibly rare symbol and he was able to quickly deduce that they had gotten it from his possessions which really offended him and he stormed out of the room um and he told his mom, and the lawyers were really upset, and so Hero had to get on the players about invading privacy, and so tensions are really high, and a lot, I wouldn't say a lot, but a good chunk of the pilgrims are not trusting the players at all. So it was kind of, it didn't go very well. After all of this, Hero then told them that he had received a vision that night before being poisoned, where he had seen an abandoned city across the fence and over the grove, or I guess across the grove and over the fence, that they would go to, and that was where they were supposed to settle. This was kind of alarming because the fence, which was is the mountain range that goes down the middle of Augustia, uh, nobody's really succeeded going beyond there and staying. It's been unable, they've been unable to settle it. The fence itself is pretty intimidating to get over and then there's the grove which is where plant life is super big and uh, dangerous and there's lots of monsters although there's also lots of treasure and so Hero was able to kind of get the players degree to go by saying they could keep all the treasure they find along the way and then they're going to find this abandoned city and Yvelda's going to help them with some teleportations to kind of get established and create uh, communications with some of the other cities. But before they left, they were going to stop up and get su- stop in stock up on supplies. So they're outside the city port town, which is a fishing slash pirate town. And they went in looking for supplies. Mostly people just kind of bought some more adventuring gear. Uh, Bob managed to find a magical item. 
things like that. And then they all eventually came and met back up. I apologize. I forgot to silence my phone. Can do that right now. Boom. Okay, that should take care of that. So they're going to go into town, find supplies. And then when they were coming back, they, they saw Hero with a bandaged head. He and Kes had been going down an alley when part of one of the roofs slipped off and hit him in the head. So then they thought, okay. So Zixia had been having Fluffwick follow Versla throughout the day. And Versla hadn't been anywhere in that area. So then they're really starting to, to suspect the elves. Think that maybe one of them might have something to do with it. So, then they started their march up the river towards the fence. So we'd gone through a lot of role-playing at this point, which is what some of the players really like, but now it was time to get into what some of the other players really like, which was combat. So the rest of the session was dealing with a lot of that. The first encounter was fighting three Hydras, which was a fun fight for me because I hadn't actually read the card before, and so I was quite surprised... Um, at how difficult, I mean, they, they did fine. Their 16th level, it was no problem. But I was surprised at how uh, difficult, well, how the unique abilities of Hydra, you know, that every time they take so much damage, they lose a head, but for every head they lose, at the start of their next turn, they grow two more back, unless, you know, they're killed outright. So, I think we only got up to eight heads on one of them because they were able to kill them pre not pretty quickly, but it would only take like two or three rounds to kill one. So they, they did all right, and I think Zixia probably took the most damage because she kind of had one that was on just her, which was just sort of like how the board got laid out. It wasn't intended by, on my point at all, or my part at all, but just kind of how the board got laid out. She just There was five of them and three Hydras, so the other two Hydras kind of had two people to be attacking, but the third Hydra just had Zixia. So it was kind of a bummer, but at the same time, they didn't put out a ton of damage. They were able to take an attack for each head, but at this point, everybody's got such high armor class that it wasn't really a... Yeah, it wasn't too hard. So, or deadly, I guess I should say. So they defeated those, and they found a bunch of really good treasure... And then they went back to just kind of report to Hero, who was really surprised that there were Hydra and that many on this side of the fence. He said it did not bode well, that maybe they were foreshadowing some, something dangerous was coming. So then they went back to scouting up ahead, and they had a, a quick fight with a wandering group of goblins who attacked them. But it was no trouble. They were able to take care of them pretty quickly. And I kind of threw that out there as a... I don't know, sometimes just a, a feel-good fight, you know? They're just able to kind of obliterate these goblins and just really feel powerful was sort of the intention of the encounter there. And then after that, we called it for the night. Um, and it was a lot of fun. I thought it was a pretty good balanced session. I thought I did a good job of sort of doing role-play as well as... Uh, what would you... Uh, as well as combat. Um, the Dungeon Master's Guide talks about three pillars of that, you know, with exploration being the third one which this group of players isn't doesn't seem really into exploration as much every now and then they do but i think part of it is is also i'm just not very good yet at making really interesting locations and a good that that might be something i'm hoping to get better at maybe with another campaign that i can really kind of put some more thought and effort into since they took vesper out a lot 
earlier than I thought they would that campaign I, I didn't really have a lot of time to sit down and really think out a whole new campaign like I did on the last one so there's some things that are lacking here you know I'm kind of rushing each week to sort of prepare it and get things lined out but I'm still having fun I think they're having fun However, it is getting difficult for me. I, as a DM, I'm kind of losing my inspiration for it because they're such high-level characters, and I kind of feel like they've all sort of had their character arc at this point. So, I'm, I don't know. i doing a lot of thinking about it, and I talked to my players, and they agreed, but I think it's time to kind of push this one to the end and sort of wrap up these characters I'm just, I'm still a new DM, and there's so much I'm learning, and there's just so much I need to get better at, and it's really hard to run these high-level characters. I I really think I need a few more years' experience of doing this before I can run a high-level campaign like this and really do it justice. I think you can totally do it, but it takes a lot of creativity. You know, it's not just as easy as, you know, giving the monsters more hit points. It's and at this point, they need to feel powerful. They need to feel like they're twice as powerful as pretty much everybody else in the world. Because they, you know, they earned that. They've been playing these characters for a long time. And they've really you know, earned and grinded and worked up to getting this high level. So they, they need to feel like they're more powerful. But at the same time, it's also got to be engaging. And so there needs to be some challenge, even though it's maybe not necessarily going to be in combat as much. But there needs to be some challenge and there needs to be some more, I don't know, creative uses of the game mechanics to keep them engaged. And I'm just not sure I'm really there yet as a DM. I need to gain a better understanding of the mechanics and the different spells and the items and all these different things. So I asked my players, could we level up once a week? and then just be done. So we've got four more levels, just level them up, and in four weeks, we'll we'll wrap up the campaign and be done. About four weeks. I mean, I imagine we'll get to like level 20, and maybe there'll be a little bit more story to kind of go and take care of, and so maybe it'll be a session or two after that. But I I think that's what me as a DM I need, is I... I do want to keep DMing. I did ask them if I could take a little break for a couple of weeks, you know, and somebody else could DM while I get caught up on work for a while, and then I'll start prepping a, you know, a, a new campaign. But I, I think what I need is to to move to a new campaign and go back to level one or another lower level, and just you know start working through that. And I th- think I've learned a little bit more. From this, you know, it's kind of like what a campaign can be. I thought a good campaign would take a player from level 1 through 20. And I realize now that that's just, like, you can do that, but it takes so long that the the idea you had for the campaign, and I'm not going to say the story, because D&D is not about telling your story. It's about creating situations. That's the storytelling part of it. And also, you know, reacting in a story-like manner to what the characters do. that That's the storytelling part of it. But, you know, coming up with a situation. And, you know, when you come up with a situation, you know, they're going to come up with it in a certain manner. And having a, a goal as to like, okay, we're going to start at this level and we're going to end at this level. That can kind of work with like, you know, ch- sort of milestone 
leveling up. But I, I don't know. It it I, I feel like I'm kind of railroading them by trying to pace the story with their leveling up. And so when they do something that jumps them forward, like you know turning to dragons to kill Vesper, it it throws off my pacing. And so then I I'm tempted and sometimes have a hard time not railroading them, you know, to try and get the pacing right, you know, so that it feels like the world is, I don't know, it's, it's hard to explain. Like, like I said, I've got so much to learn. I'm not even sure how to wrap my, how to explain what has been going on. (laughs) Like, it's just so much is happening that I don't even know what's happening or what, like, I just, it's confusing. To say the least. I'm a little confused. I'm a little overwhelmed. I'm not really sure how to tell the story. So, and I, last time, I, I feel kind of silly. Cause last, or two times ago, two sessions ago, I talked about how I was really excited. And I feel like I got a really good idea how to go forward and really make it their own. And I do still want to kind of take that approach, you know, just, but I, I've learned that there does need to be a little bit more structure than what I thought last time you know that I was kind of talking about how you know I just need to give them a situation and then just react and yes that's true but just a situation is more than just an encounter or you know a little bit of a mystery there needs to be more to that and at these high levels they can really work through any situation pretty quickly like a situation for a one level character is going to take them a lot longer to overcome. An obstacle is going to be a lot take a lot longer and also be more difficult and meaningful for them to overcome than a 16th level character. A 16th level character at this point has got an arsenal of weapons and abilities and spells that they can use to overcome a lot of obstacles that would take like three or four sessions for a low level character to work through. So it's... I don't know, it's just, I think it's going to be easier to give them meaningful situations at lower levels, and I think that's what I need to do as a DM. I just need to take a step back, go back to where I'm, you know, a little closer to my own level, but then also, you know, just be able to come up with a situation or an obstacle and say, it's about this level that you need to be, and they can start at that level and kind of level up as we go, and then I can just, you know, let, let them solve it how they will, and then when they overcome it, the the campaign's over. Good job. And I that might be a better approach. I don't know. Ah, I feel like my thoughts are really jumbled and all over the place and I apologize. It's just there's just a lot going on right now is all. And so with D&D, which I love, I'm kind of going through this weird teenager stage, I guess, in my <laughs> understanding of it where I feel like I'm learning a lot, but it doesn't always make sense and I'm trying to put it all together and make sense of it all. And so I think a step back from DMing will be really good for me for a while to just kind of take all these things I've learned to sort of process them and really try to come up with a clear picture and a clear approach to how I'm going forward. So I'm sorry for all the jam- jumbled ramblings and th- all of that. Whenever we do get to that break, I do intend to continue doing podcasts, whether it's just like what's happening to my character, but I'm also kind of thinking of doing sort of my version of uh, this YouTube series that I really like called the Animated Spellbook, which has been really useful for me to kind of learn about different spells and just sort of discover 
different spells in um, in the player's handbook and in the session, but because it's animated, they're released really slowly. So I'm thinking about doing just a like five minute sort of uh, what would they call it? Just sort of like featuring different spells or magic items um, that are in the book. Just kind of pick one and talk about it and the ways it can be used and th- and things like that. And just sort of the things that I've learned from it. Just as a way, well, really for me to continue practicing my podcasting skill. But also, you know, kind of to scratch my own itch. You know, to since, this, since there isn't a series that kind of goes over these things on a more regular basis. That I can sit down and just kind of learn about all this stuff. But to kind of be that myself. And kind of be a way to force me to really study the spells and magic items that are available. And how they can be used and things like that. Anyway, that's going to be it for today. So, next time they'll level up, well, this week, they'll level up their characters to level 17. And then we'll be done in a a few sessions. And we're going to kind of wrap this up. I don't, I imagine they're going to figure out who the murderer is pretty quickly, possibly next session. Um, They, I don't know. I I think they're they're working through these suspects and they're gonna get close here soon. So, I they I mean I was kind of afraid when they said zone of truth and I thought oh well then I guess they're gonna find out who it is now <laughs> like but I put so much time into flushing out these NPCs I was a little bit selfish about it, um, so maybe I shouldn't have tried so hard to find a way that the zone of truth could be countered, um. But at the same time, it I, I am I am a player too, and so I mean I didn't railroad them. I didn't try and stop them from doing it. Like everything they did was legit. But you know maybe I should have rewarded them a little bit for thinking of Zone of Truth. I don't know. I'm gonna stop talking because I'm not making any sense. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week for level 17 of the Far Enough Entertainers.